Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, Andrew Dewing will talk you through the current market, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice. He will also be interviewing a leader in the world of agriculture and finishing up with Farm Chat, which includes his favourite bit, where he tastes beer for free. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and his market report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. This is the Market Report for the week commencing the 18th of February. In Andrew's absence, I will start with wheat as the first one. So what have we had? We had um, Andrew talked about last week's, um, he did his report prior to the USDA and it came out on the Friday evening nothing to report back we were all a little bit excited about it thinking right here's some figures we can go on something exciting let's have some positivity for a change but no it was a complete damp squib nothing happened the trade was still as I talk close to home the trade was still trying to digest the information of uh, the AHDB crop size this is the old crop and on um, them revising down the crop size by 100,000 hectares Yeah, it hasn't brought any upside, unfortunately. Everyone's doing a lot of head-scratching. There is a thought that we might see a tail-end rally. If this rally is to come, we're going to understand our our tail-end stocks better. But for me, personally, this feels like a June-July story. What it means to you as, as a farmer is, does that suit you logistically? Can your business operate around that sort of storage requirement or cash flow, I've got to say, as well? But it is also a, a tricky end game as well. I mean, if, if you are looking to hold your wheat through to July, you've got to be very wary that the old crop, new crop discount is £20 a tonne. If all of a sudden uh, an early harvest starts to encroach, which again, we, we're not going to know for some time yet, you've got that kind of cliff edge trading where you could very quickly be faced with new crop values rather than old. So um, who's going to play that game tail end? I don't know. That's, that's the question. And we're all um, going to have to wait and see for that. Let's talk about new crop now, and I'll, I'll just move on. We're talking about the weather. Looks like it's going to improve next week. We're looking at forecasts, particularly in Norfolk. I look at very parochial uh, weather view, but we're going to have some warmer sort of spring-like weather. I mean, how does that affect your sentiment to your crops? Quite often or not, in, in a normal year, a farmer will look out the window and, and see, oh, my crops are starting to grow. And does that become a selling moment? Potentially. But the, the crop potential may, may start to look better even though it looks looks fairly good as we uh, as we speak now. In the absence of the shutdown, there were some USDA export figures that were released on Thursday. These are historic figures. They were backdated and playing catch-up from the, uh, this is weekend, the 3rd of January. They were disappointing figures. I'm not sure what people are expecting because it was obviously the Christmas week and, and there's not going to be a huge amount of business done. But no, it's disappointing. And as a result, the uh, the American market got a bit of a kicking. Follow through the French market went down three euros and, and London wheat went down as well. At one point, it looked like the uh, London wheat futures were going to trade below 150. It didn't make it, but will that be a level of support? I don't know. We'll, we'll see that over this, this coming week. It gave new crop values a bit of a knock and, and the sentiment is unfortunately looking a little bit grim like to always try and give you a bit of positivity but I, from where I'm sitting here at the moment looking at uh, what we've got ahead and looking at you know, the miseries of Brexit still I'm struggling to see the wood through the trees at the moment it's um, it's a difficult market with very little positivity to go on that's um, wrapping up the wheat story 
I'll move on to Barley. Last time I, I was doing the report, I asked Ollie what, what he thought of Barley, and he used the word limp. Today, he's um, used a very technical term using the trade. He's, he's referred to it as shagged. So what, what, what does that mean to us? He said, feed barley, old crop, no buyers. Lots of people, obviously, out, out of the market. People don't want to get involved. Lots of questions over tariffs. Where does the old crop go? French feed barley is cheaper. So if there's any sort of international tenders, it, it's going to be won by French, and we're, we're certainly not going to be on the pitch. Corn is cheaper. So again, that's that's displacing um, some of the barley demand. So no, unfortunately, nothing um, of excitement on barley. Ollie has commented that there has been several um, washouts or cash settlements on old crop malting barleys, particularly planets. This is um, adding to the supply of malting barley around at the moment. So it's it's creating a um, limited demand. And again, going back to Brexit, it's it's still it's a paralysed market, and, and everyone's fearing uh, what may or may not occur. So new, new crop as well is is paralysed. Brexit is um, stifling the trade. Very little demand. We're in an uncertain period of time. Obviously, we're going to have to wait to see where we get to the other side of 29th of March for any real uh, clarity on on where that market goes. Last but not least, seed rape. It's suffered a bit under the uncertainty of the China-Donald Trump-US trade deal. There's been very little conclusion as to whether or not they will come out of it with a deal. So soybeans has been stifled. It's lost a bit of ground. As a result, rapeseed has, has broken lower. It's, it's slipped underneath that £320 a tonne range that we've been having as support recently. Still, I, I believe it's got some bullish fundamentals to it. It will be a particularly tight new crop year, which I like to think will lend that leg of support to the old crop still. I've got to say still, I'm I'm not as confident that it's got a significant rally at the end. Target price-wise, if it can make 330, I think it'd be a good opportunity to, to clear the decks. But there's obviously a lot of ground to go between 317 where it is now and, and 330. But no, hold, hold the reins. I think there's uh, some potential positivity to come from that. So if I talk about new crop, it has been a concern of, of mine. I'm having several conversations with growers about signs of flea beetle, the, the down flea beetle, which is um, rearing its head again. With the crops done to move and the, and the warm weather, how do we see the crop faring? Will there be uh, damage? Will the crop become smaller as a result? Fingers crossed we, we don't see too much of an impact, but it uh, could significantly impact this market still. Lastly, currency. We have seen a weaker currency over the last couple of days. Brexit's still a mess. Pound's getting weaker. This is, for me, it's one of the, the strongest chances for all seed rape. The weaker the currency, the, the higher the value and, and the more benefit we see to rapeseed. Won't help other commodities, the no-deal Brexit, but some glimmer of hope for uh, rapeseed there. I think that wraps it up for this week and uh, fingers crossed for something positive to say next week. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. Ben Burgess Crop Storage offer a wide range of equipment from handling, processing and storage of harvested crops. From initial advice on any aspect of crop handling and storage through to design, supply, build and installation of complete intake, drying, dressing and storage plants. The Ben Burgess Aftercare support team includes dedicated technicians who are also on hand to service all crop storage machinery too, so you're always looked after. Visit benburgess.co.uk or search Ben Burgess Crop Storage for more information on how the team can assist you.
And now it's time for our feature. Right, Claire, we both went to the Anglia Farmer Conference, or the AF Conference, or the Norfolk Farming Conference. Oh, yeah, you've got to call it AF now, haven't you? Yeah, actually, it's the Norfolk Farming Conference, organised by AF. Ah, oh, right, yeah. And organised very well. Got to say, good speakers, very good, good speakers. venue, good food. Throughout this podcast, we've got a few opinions from some young people. I mean, we, we, you lot might be getting fed up with the old codge coming up with his bitter and twisted pessimistic views. And so we have actually cherry-picked a few youngsters to ask questions of. It's, it's an interesting contrast. So some of the guys at the conference we've interviewed are, have a different perspective, which you'll hear. So what did you kind of, what was your overall feeling of the conference and like your sort of the mood? The biggest, well, the mood, ooh, it depends on the age of the person. I think um, there's some old cynics and there's some young optimists, which we'll, which we'll hear later on, I think. Um, yeah, I, my, my overriding impression was, I'm, I'm the old cynic, so my biggest fear is, is what Minette Batters said about there's nothing in the new agricultural bill that actually protects agriculture. So the door is open for cheaper or inferior goods to be supplied to this country without the consumer being aware of the inferiority and competing on price and competing on production methods that we're not allowed to use, which is is completely unfair or uneven playing field. And the only thing to protect us at the moment are some words, some phrases, some ambiguity that's come from, from Gove and from... It's almost like a tweet, isn't it? I think it comes down to... Yeah. And <laughs> so there's, there's nothing, like, properly down, like, written down. Nothing in writing. Yeah. And, 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 and she's pressing to get something that definitively gives us some protection. And I suspect that the, the, the time delaying, the way they're delaying that, it feels like, to me, that agriculture is going to be the sacrificial lamb. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, it could be that it's just that they're so consumed with Brexit at the moment that there's no response to anything. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, if, you, if your agricultural ministry, which is now called something different to the agricultural ministry, um, it doesn't actually mention agriculture or food. Yeah, food or farming is not on no. the agenda. So yeah, it's very much mention- climate, isn't it, on that uh, yeah. bill? Yeah, so, OK, fine. But... If they're into getting cheap food into the country, it's a very important thing for all the Brexiteers is that we're going to have much cheaper food, according to them. What does that mean? How does it get cheaper than we can produce it? Yeah, it's worrying. I mean, the only thing that's reassuring is that Minette Batters is a force, isn't she? And she came across brilliantly. Her ability to talk and say, you know, to get across her point was brilliant. Yeah, and and she's got the the, the ability to keep asking that question. But I I think... I think that the leading question for me is, what if farming is sold down the river? What do the NFU do then? If she's absolutely, um, pardon the pun, battered off and you don't end up with a, with, a, with a fair playing field, is there an alternative? Is there a French reaction to this? Is there... No, God, imagine. Yeah, because one of the things that she mentioned, I think, and you've definitely talked about before, is the uh, that there should perhaps be a change to the AHDB um, sort of levies and what they're spent on. Like, would it be better for farmers to be commissioning a PR company um, to do a big campaign to highlight, you know, in a sort of forceful but friendly way that what we do best compared to other parts of the world? Well, that's the point. If you could have great big billboards up saying, if you buy this product, it has got this product in it, which is not allowed in this country and it may well have dramatic side effects, you that funding to put those big billboards up 
is being raised already. Um, is the AHDB spending all of that money wisely? Are they getting in, you know, twenty million pounds or whatever they get? Streaming. Maybe cut cut a few jobs, I'm afraid, and put that money straight into something that has a direct impact for the people that are paying their wages, i.e., the levy payers, which is predominantly the farmers. Should they have something that gives them a, a, the the story that is the real story? Yeah, it's, it's a bit radical, and, and I'm sure it won't go down exceptionally well. But something worries me about if we're sold down the river as a, as an industry, and we can't get our point across to the general public to say if you buy these products, they have got this, this, and this in them, then the the message won't get across, and people will just be buying cheap stuff, and they won't differentiate at all. And that kind of brings us on to another big theme of the conference which was consumers I felt like a lot of people were talking about different you know what the consumer wants um and there was some interesting like chat about that especially from Andrew Fern he got he whipped everybody up a little bit didn't he he was um, great. He, he's, he's from the University of East Anglia and he was you know he was telling us what the Tesco club card basically says really wasn't he what the feedback is from that well, it, it's not a very nice story. We all think that everybody cares about the food story, and in fact, they don't. They care about the price at the bottom of the aisle. Yeah, and I mean, like at the end of the day, when you've got three streaming kids and like not a lot of money, that's what's going to be the case, isn't it? I mean, and I think it was quite a wake-up call to quite a lot of the audience. Reality is, like, you know, if it's a chlorinated chicken, but it's cheap, then you know. I, I absolutely, and I th- I think that that is why. The billboards need to go up. I think we need. That's to... why we're planning billboards. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's my. You know, give me the give me the AHDB funds. I'll 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 keep five people and I'll spend the rest of the money on some advertising that highlights the difference. Yeah. Right. Um, cool. it, it may be effective. It might not. Um, now we might just move to Peter Cox at the conference um, from Brown and Co. Just to explain what he felt about this. I did particularly enjoy uh, Andrew um, Fern and uh, his controversial comments certainly his viewpoints on what the consumer really wants something which as British food producers we are proud of in terms of producing something which is what we believe the consumer wants something which is local, something high quality is not really the case particularly, obviously there are variations in the domestic profile in terms of what people will be buying but that is something which we do need to actually take on board and the bodies that represent agriculture with the AHDB, I think that's something we really want them to keep pushing at and bring out something which will be supportive of what the UK consumers want. And what do you think they do want? I know what I want. What others want, I think, is price. And price is king. When we are in potentially difficult economic times coming forward, we might not be price is going to be the crucial thing so the cheaper the better in the eyes of many consumers that's the bell for the end of the lunch so uh, i better let you go but um what's your sort of mood today do you feel like people are fairly optimistic or do you think it's kind of you know sort of rather scary time i would say more optimistic than the opposite the way that changes are going at the moment brings about opportunities not opportunities for everyone but I think we really need to harness those and knowing that I think we ought to be thinking and taking the positive approach negativity is never a great step forward so remain positive and that's where I'll take it from there oh thank you so much for your time that's brilliant thanks bye-bye so several speakers talked about like this the small opportunities that might come about when Brexit happens i think one of them might be gm crops and gm editing what did you think what did you come away with from that well if you if you try and 
grow a GM plant in this country gets trampled down by well-meaning individuals. Um, the reality is the general public are already eating product that has been uh, that is GM. You know, the, the soya that comes into this country that goes into pigs, that goes into chickens, is GM food already. Well, some of it is, yeah. Yeah, and right. it is. Uh, yeah. It's already in the food chain. It's not... And, and the reality is that the scaremongering picture of a loaf of bread with a cow's head on it, the relationship between those two is ridiculous. If yeah. you have um, a, a, a wheat plant, because you did a talk with the genome people, yeah. and, and the reality is if you can put another wheat plant or cereal plant gene that is resistant to drought at a, at a swifter pace than letting evolution take 100,000 years to do it, you're going to have a much better chance of feeding all of these people with cereals. And, and I think that there is, a, there is a very big misguided story about GM, whilst everyone turns a blind eye to the fact they're already eating it and it's already in the food chain. I asked Lulu Burton from Brown & Co um, about what she thought about GM crops. Do I have any sort of strong feelings about GM foods? Um, I think I've always thought that GM is um, positive if used in the right way. Obviously, being in the EU, they take quite a precautionary um, approach to it. But I think it's positive, and if we need to increase yields to keep up with population, etc., then it's something that can be done. And knowing our standards in England, um, the UK, we're not going to do anything that's not fully tested. So something that I took away from it was Sir John Beddington and, and his slides on climate change, which were... Pretty shocking. Um, one very conv- convincing one, which I actually even took a photo of, which was extreme weather events um, becoming more severe. It showed how geophysical events, such as like volcanoes and earthquakes and stuff, had remained like much the same. But like the meteorological and climate, cli- I think it's climatological, yeah, um, and hydrological events have increased dramatically, like especially in the last five years. I, I, I mean, it's like so marked in the last five years. If you, well, the, the, apparently there's there's some phenomenal events happening in the states at the moment for snow deposits and uh, and and intense rain, <clears throat> intense rain and flooding. Um, it's it's an ongoing phenomenon. It's very hot in northern Australia and very wet in southern Australia. Extreme. Uh, climate moments so when old donald stood in the middle of uh, uh, washington and said on the basis of the polar vortex uh, oh, climate yeah. change what climate change oh what was it global warming <laughs> oh, it. what global warming yeah, yeah. yeah. so we're talking about the other thing that john so john beddington talked about was the increase in the middle classes especially i think probably that's in the far east in particular yeah no the 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 the, the increase in um population is predominantly going to be within Asia and in Africa and you know the dynamic of those people becoming more affluent and the diets changing means that food consumption is just going to keep going through the roof there is a point coming very soon every every trader knows this when we are going to have a difficult harvest and it's going to be very difficult to feed everybody so who starves Mm. is that really realistic yeah, of course it is. If you look at world production and consumption over the last 50 years, that they're zooming up at exactly the same rate. We've had five bumper harvests on the trot in the world. If you look at history, one in seven is a disaster. Right. 
so we're due, we're overdue a problem with production. All right, there's more and more land coming into production, but the world is eating more and more, and they're eating a more middle-class diet. So they're eating meat as opposed to rice, and the dynamic of that is it takes five portions of rice, rice to make one portion of chicken in round figures. So it's an inefficient way of eating rice. Mm. But it means that consumption is going through the roof, and if people can afford to pay for it, then they do. Yeah, very true. I think Joshua Spink from Savills has something to say about that. I was starting to wonder, you know, whether we are going to be sending Norfolk sausages over to, I don't know, the Far East. What do you think? Yes, I think that's probably true. And it's quite um, true that also when when these new, um, in these countries, when the new middle classes emerge, they're not going to um, eat the same food that when they were sort of working class and moving up, they will want what is considered a higher class food. And if if the UK, if Norfolk can get on that bandwagon and show that what we produce is high quality and good and there's a sort of cachet around that, then I think that's a market that could be exploited um, very well by, by Norfolk farmers. So all in all, what, it was a good conference, wasn't it? Definitely. The biggest thing of the, of the Norfolk conference is people get together. You get to see people and you, you catch up and there are little groups or little clusters of people that have perhaps... 10, 15, 20 seconds of each other's company and they can can just have a bit of a chat and a bit of a catch-up. It's a very good networking opportunity. Not that Norfolk is um, brilliant at that. It's a very good opportunity to see everybody. It, there's topics that everyone else finds boring in their lives. There they are talking to other people who are interested in the subject. Yep. So it's, it's actually quite good for people to actually be able to talk about it. Yeah, and you get really stimulated by everything that's being said. So you want to go and just sort of go and chat to people about those yeah. subjects afterwards, don't you? Absolutely. That was a great morning. Yeah, I agree. That was, and an, an long may it continue to be successful. Well done, AF. Well done. And now it's time for farm chat. Back to the uh, the favourite time of the week, we get to sample a sample a drink um, and have a bit of a chat. So this week I've got um, Joe with me. We're going to chat about rugby, but before we do, Joe, I just wanted to do the usual. We're going to have to sample a beer. So I was kind of thinking for inspiration. I'm thinking rugby. This brought me back to my former playing days. Rugby buses, long trips back, brought me back to Strongbow. So I thought, yeah, let's crack into a pint of Strongbow for the old times. A lovely tipple, yes, yes. Lots Uh, of good memories, or or were they memories? I'm not quite sure. They're very vague, faded memories, like rocket fuel. (laughs) Yeah, someone trying to make some sort of uh, snake bite along the way or something, or someone's got the odd extra can of lager and they're mixing it on the back of the bus. (laughs) I don't remember having, not that I was a Harper boy, but going down to Harper and had a bit of a cess there, and um, they're more referring to snake biting black as, as a pint of diesel yeah yeah you, everyone everyone always had a nice smile on the end of the at the end of the night sort of like the uh, the remnants of the uh, raspberry in the uh, the the snake bite sort of leaving this nice smile on the someone's face as they walk out the uh, out the bar never had a bad night on a on a strongy so um <laughs> anyway let's give it a go for old time's sake ah oh, it's like amber nectar well, it feels like when you have five a day because it has that apple twist to it, but I'm not sure about it. Yeah, probably best on a very, very hot day with lots and lots of ice and uh, maybe just one or two, but that'd be about it. 
No, cool. Well, I enjoyed that. It's a fond memory. So back to serious stuff. Right, so uh, rugby, you are, are not to uh, big you up too much, but you had quite a sort of, um, yeah, you had a professional rugby career b- before you joined us. You played... Well, England, 18s, 21s. You've been there, done it. So you're our, our token man who knows about rugby. Well, so that knows about rugby every year. Oh, <laughs> come on, you know, you know more better than us. It's all fair. What I wanted to do, we're, we're in the middle of the Six Nations. What are your thoughts? You know, give us a summary. What What do you reckon? You know, I mean, give us your highlights. Your best. Well, I think and... I think to start with, we, we're like we just started. So third of the way through, um, we've had a you know great start for England anyway, beating Ireland away. That was a real sort of upset. Awesome um, result. Yeah, great. The moment England of you know, can they carry on? They're doing well so far. They look really sharp. The Welsh are being talked up, you know, as being a one of the greatest sides ever. Um, they've got some real old heads in there. Um, and Ireland, obviously, have, have right at the top. You know, they are really still favourites. They've done the business. They've done, beaten all the All Blacks away and at home. All but you know, albeit the the away game was in America, but. Uh, I think, you know, Scotland, unfortunately, always have some great players, um, have played up there. And, you know, there really are some great, great skilled players. But unfortunately, always played with injury and they haven't got the depth. Mm. And, yeah, France France have choked, unfortunately, they again. Have, you, you, you can never um, fully understand the French boys. They're the most erratic side around. Moments of brilliance, then absolutely yeah, utter they, dross, aren't they? they? They they just struggle when they've got it together. They are amazing, but um, yeah, at the moment they are sixes and sevens, mm. momentary sort of thinking they're doing the right thing, and then suddenly throwing the big long pass out. I was quite looking forward to the uh, you talk about big boys in rugby, the Bastero, uh, yeah. Manu. That's like a collision course yeah. waiting to happen. Yeah, there it? was there was the Courtney Laws actually put one hell of a hit on um, Bastero last weekend. It was uh, yeah. Welcome to rugby. <laughs> Brutal, isn't it? Let's talk about Italy as well. I mean, should they be? This is controversial, but should they be in the Six Nations? I, They're the whipping boys, aren't they? Yeah. Poor old Parise, you know, yeah. awesome rugby player, but yeah, yeah, yeah. where'd I, you go with that? I, I really would be great if they, I don't know, it just, it doesn't really click. They, this, this, it's fine margins, it really is. They are a good side when they're on form, but oh, sometimes it's difficult. They, they, you know, the, their best players are playing abroad, out of Italy. They're playing in, in France, they're playing in England. And for that reason, they don't really get the opportunity to have that cohesion as a team. Unfortunately as well, they're, they're more skilled with a ball at the end of their toe, aren't they, than, than with a ball in their hands. So. Yeah, I think they, you know, they have that passion that sometimes sort of boils over a bit. And I think you know, when they're ahead, they're great. But then when they get behind, you know, I think their heads go down and they lose it a bit. It's hard. It's mm. it's a difficult situation. But, you know, they've got some great players, but they just cannot pull it together always. I shouldn't... This is um, slightly insensitive of me, but I was watching, I think, was it the... Um, who do they play? Uh, Italy played. Possibly Wales. And midway into the second half, this lad ran on looking like Biggles, had a scrum cap on and some goggles. Turns out, unfortunately, it's a bit of a sad story, but he had a rugby injury and he lost... Did he lose an eye or yeah, blinded? Yeah, blinded, blinded. Um, but yeah. I thought, blimey, a one-eyed rugby yeah. player. You yeah, know, depth You don't want Manu bit, or yeah. someone running at you from, from your bad side. Yeah. You know, that's... No, uh, but uh, incredible. So, Joe, I mean, going through your you, you know your rugby career then, you, you've mixed it with all those boys. You've you've played in, uh, and was it 16s, 18s, Six Nations? Who were the nasty bastards to play uh, for? You know, who were the, who were the soft touch... <laughs> Well, who do you enjoy playing against most? Um, I, I think to be honest, any side playing against England, especially Six Nations, were always out for taking a scalp. 
Everyone loves to give England a bit yeah, of shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, under-16s, we only played sort of Wales, and that was a tough game. You don't play sort of so many 18s. It starts getting really serious. And when you get to under-21s, you've got a lot of lads that are just on the cusp of going in and out of um, full England anyway. Playing away, I would say sort of like, so, you know, playing in Wales or something like that is is always going to be tough. They They want blood. France, deepest, darkest France somewhere, you know, yeah. a night game or whatever under floodlights. Again, it, they're, they're, you know, just tough places to play, really. They deliberately put you in the worst changing room. You're sat there and... Oh, uh, old school tactics. Oh, there, yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. But it's great when, the, you know, when they get opportunity to come to our patch, then... Um, you, I did. Uh, you, put it about. You, interesting, you talk about away team changes. We we had an interesting experience. So we um, the guys in the trade would be aware of this, but farmers probably not. We had within the trade there was um, north versus south grain trade. CME sponsor Saracens. Saracens. Yeah. So we went down to Sarries, down to Allianz Park. We were supposedly meant to be playing in the south, but got um, allocated to play in the the team in the north, didn't we? The South boys, you know, probably in close time, had the home side change room. So we were, yeah, you know, yeah. shuffled away into the away team change room. And it was a dump. I, you know, I've got to be really careful about what I say. You know, a club with that much money. Our North Walsham change room facilities were 100 times better than that. It was an absolute... It's like a 19 sort of 70s old school, showers don't work. Yeah, yeah, that's... You know, yeah. Yeah. Horrible. Great, great tactics, you know, great tactics. the feathers pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. Why, why not? You know, little added uh, extra sort of puts people down. And there are some people who are going to be affected by that. If you can't sort of like just get your head switched on and, and carry on, and keep uh, thinking about what you're going to do next. But some boys, obviously, you know, they want to go to a nice pristine loo before they go out on the pitch. And uh, I'm a bit of a premium on it like that, Joe. I've got to, uh, you know, <laughs> gel my hair and uh, make myself look sharp before I go out for a game. <laughs> So, Joe, you know, from your, your past experience then, in your view, what makes a good winning team? I think, obviously, you've got to have the players to start the talent there to start with, but a side that really wants it is always going to beat the other side that sort of might be a bunch of prima donnas, but if they're mentally not there... Gritty you, determination. Yeah, I think yeah. that massively makes a difference. You know, people turn up in always, you know, the, 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 the big turnover, you know, the big wins that that a small side never expected, the underdog type thing. It's not about the sort of size of the dog, it's the, size of the fight in the dog. And that really does make a difference. The, the sides that have really always done very well are the sides that have consistency, that have got some age in their side as well. You look at all the sides, the great, you know, the all-black side, they had with Richie McCaw and things, they had a number of guys that have been in, those, in that team for a number of years. And not surprisingly, when, when England won the World Cup, the actual age of the average age of that side was wasn't really sort of like spring chickens old wise heads a little bit you know they were on their top of their game but it wasn't surprising that many of those players retired after they finished the world cup i've got to say but does that not bode well for the world cup coming up this year you know you've got some boys with real experience here i mean let's say our our mates you know ben young's ben young he's quite a young lad compared to me still which is slightly frustrating looks much younger looks a lot younger (laughs) yeah definitely unsurprisingly being a rugby player hasn't got the beer gut that I've got for a young lad he's got a hell of a lot of experience a lot of caps and he's a senior player in the side and there's a lot of those senior boys like that so does that not set us up well for the World Cup it does it really does and that's the interesting thing about the Six Nations this year we've got um, the likes of Ireland that have done really well and they've got a load of good players in there that have been there for many years Rory Best you know at the helm and there are a number of other guys in there that have been there for a number of years Wales are, again Alwyn Jones 
been there for you know a, nearly a decade um, with a load of other players. England have now sort of nurtured those guys along, and they've got that coming along as well. It doesn't really surprise us that when you look at the sides that are doing well in the Six Nations at the moment, they've got consistency, they've got a real bit of unity. And speaking to Ben recently, um, you know, we were just talking about obviously what's been going on and what's you know what what key things they focus on. And it's it's too late to worry about sort of necessarily your basic skills. That should be in the tank. That should be there and you know ready Natural to go. To a lot of those boys now. Yeah, I mean yeah. it's so second nature. What you need to next the little edges, the the things that you know where your teammates are and and that focus that unity making the real difference how do you get the unity what's it well it i don't know i mean values, i don't know you know in our in our probably playing days uh ian it would have been uh let's all go out for a, a light refreshment down the pub and have a chat about it and i to be honest hang it, on take that back i was a protein <laughs> shake myself. protein shake yeah, for a bit. yeah nice nice uh, but no old-fashioned bonding yeah um definitely together yeah it happened all the time. I remember a number of times we turned up at training sessions sometimes and the and the uh, the coach sort of, we'd gone through a, either a few down patches and what have you and you you see all the, all the tackle shields and everything covered with all over the pitch and you think, oh God, here we go. We're going to get absolutely, you know, steamed into here. And, and it was a complete facade and you'd all turn up in your kit ready to rock and roll, gum shields ready and then they'd go, right, we're all going down the pub and you're like, awesome. Whoop. Really? This is... Uh, I love to hear that. That's so refreshing. It was. You know, you think it's very... Yeah. I, it is obviously very serious being a pressure player, but there's still time to have a beer. So I, I think, yeah, sometimes it's just to unwind and, and have a bit of sort of chat with your mates and, and have a bit of fun, really. Team um, bonding them around. Yeah, awesome. I, I'm not saying it's got to be all around that at all, um, but it's just, you know, that social environment, going, doing something together, having a bit of a laugh. And I think talking to Ben, you know, they've really focused on the England team this, this time are really focusing on obviously the World Cup being their their big aim, but getting together and, and actually having that, that sort of club feeling, you know, week day in, day out, you're with a, yeah. a bunch of lads and that same thing when you come to a, come together as Grassroot a... Grassroot values. Well, yeah, ultimately it comes down to sort of having that feeling of all together and, and everyone's got your own back. And when you do that, it's difficult in international side because obviously everyone's vying for that position. But if you can create that atmosphere, you've got a good chance of winning. I'd love to see a, a complete whitewash on this um, Six Nations. And then let's set us up really well for the World Cup. No pressure here, lads, but we've mentioned the Youngs boys. Yeah. You know, we would love it. They are, you know, this is a bit of a big up. They are customers of ours. Yeah, yeah. We would love to have you boys on and, you know, give us your thoughts ahead of the um, World Cup. Tom and Ben... Yep. Also, it would actually make our day. So, um, yeah, no pressure, lads. Last little so far, strongy for good time's sake, Joe. Then, um, and uh, yeah, yeah, no, nice bit of apple juice. Thank you. Cheers, Joe. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at Grain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio. 